Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode. Welcome to episode 187 of the GDPR Weekly Show, and we're very pleased to announce this week that the GDPR Weekly Show is now officially the number one GDPR podcast worldwide. So, a big thank you to all of our listeners, and we will be having more on that in the next few weeks. So coming up in episode 187, we have news that from various cybersecurity centres around the world, users are being advised to avoid use of Kapersky products due to possible links between Kapersky and the Russian government, and obviously the impact that may have with the current war between Russia and Ukraine. And for any of our listeners in Russia who are offended by me calling it a war, I'm sorry, but it is a war. It's not a case of a special operation, as your president describes it. It is a war. Many civilians are being killed. And so I make no apology at all for condemning the action which the Russian government is taking. Continuing along that line, we have news that anonymous hacktivists have attacked Rosnet Deutschland oil company's systems due to Rosnet's alleged links to President Putin. And then we have news as well that much of Russian infrastructure is under attack by hackers. Obviously, predominantly hackers based in Ukraine, but not just in Ukraine. As we said last week, the hacktivist movement really has come down firmly in two camps, those who are pro-Russia and those who are anti-Russia. But there's plenty of other news as well as Ukraine. So we then travelled to Scotland, where human error allowed a data breach at the Scotland Environment Protection Agency, SEPA. And we then travelled to the Isle of Man, where there's been a cyber attack at Strix Group. And then to the USA, where Cafe Press has been fined half a million dollars after data breaches. We then returned to the UK, and we have news that the prison service in England and Wales has recorded more than 2,000 data breaches in the last 12 months. We then have a special highlight for this week, which is my interview with Debbie Reynolds. Debbie Reynolds is a data specialist in the USA. She runs her own podcast in the US called uh, Debbie Reynolds, The Data Diva. It's a fascinating conversation. I do hope you really enjoy it. I certainly really enjoyed the conversation with Debbie recording it. And as always, if you have any feedback on our interview, then please do email us at feedback at gprweeklyshow.com. We then have news that Green Corps is facing legal action after a data breach. And we then travel to Ireland, where the DPC, the Data Protection Commission in Ireland, is being sued for inaction over a alleged data breach at Google. And staying in Ireland, we have news that Limerick Garda has defended its use of CCTV, despite GDPR breaches. And then finally this week, we have news that Meta, the f- new name for Facebook, Meta has been fined $18.6 million for GDPR breaches by the DPC in Ireland. $18.6 million sounds like an awful lot of money, but to Facebook it really isn't. It's something like 15 minutes of their turnover. But nonetheless, they've been fined for those GDPR breaches. And so at last we are seeing some action taken against Facebook. So as always, a mixed selection of articles for you this week. I really hope that you find something useful and informative. And I hope that you enjoyed the interview with Debbie Reynolds. If you do have any feedback for us, please email us at feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com. We do read every single piece of feedback we receive, but unfortunately, due to the volume of feedback we receive, it's not possible for us to respond to each piece of feedback individually. 
You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. And we begin this week with news that the German Federal Office for Information Security is warning people against using Kapersky antivirus software. Kapersky is one of the most popular brands of antivirus software, but it does have links to Russia, as that's where the company has its headquarters. And this week, the BSI said it recommends switching away from any Kapersky product to another vendor because the company could be forced by the Russian state to carry out offensive cyber operations. It also said Kapersky could carry out such offensive operations in cyberspace through its own will, can use its own products as a tool in attacks on its own customers, or be spied on without its knowledge. Because of these factors, BSI said there's a considerable risk of a successful IT attack as a result of current conflicts between Russia, the EU, NATO and Germany. It believes organisations that are tied to critical infrastructure or have had a special security interests are particularly at risk of attacks linked to Kapersky's antivirus software, and the BSI will advise any organisation it believes may be affected. Antivirus software, including the associated real-time capable trail services, has extensive system authorizations, and due to the system, at least for updates, must maintain a permanent, encrypted and unverifiable connection to the manufacturer's servers, the BSI said in a statement. Therefore, trust in the reliability and self-protection of a manufacturer as well as the authenticability tracks is crucial for the safety of such systems. If there is doubt about reliability of the manufacturer of virus protection software poses a particular risk for the IT infrastructure to be protected. Kapersky has denied any allegations that it's linked to the Russian state or any other government across the globe, saying the BSI's decision has not been made on the basis of technical analysis of its products. We believe this decision is not based on technical assessment of Kapersky products, that we continuously advocated for with the BSI and across Europe, but instead it's being made on political grounds, a Kapersky spokesperson said. We will continue to assure our partners and customers in the quality and integrity of our products, and we will be working with the BSI for clarification on its decision and for the means to address it and others regulators' concerns. At Kapersky, we believe that transparency and the continued implementation of concrete measures to demonstrate our enduring commitment to integrity and trustworthiness to our customers is paramount. Kapersky is a private global cybersecurity company and as a private company does not have any ties to the Russian or any other government. We believe that peaceful dialogue is the only possible instrument for resolving conflict. War isn't good for anyone. This isn't the first time there have been allegations about the Russian government's involvement in Kapersky. In 2017, the US accused Kapersky of being able to spy on its customers, of which the US government was one, leading to its products being banned from using federal government departments. Kapersky said at the time it believed the decision was not being made on the basis of fact and that its appeals to overturn the ban thrown out of court. The cybersecurity company also launched a lawsuit against the Trump administration a week after the ban was imposed. The UK's National Cybersecurity Centre has also followed the US in advising all UK government departments against using capacity security products. The EU labelled the company's software products as malicious, leading to an EU-wide ban. Following a wave of government bans, Twitter also prevented Kapersky from placing ads on the social media platform, claiming that Kapersky's business model conflicts with Twitter ads' business practices. If we get any further update on this, either from the National Cyber Security Centre or from Kapersky, we will, of course, bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. Remaining in Germany, and on Monday this week, the German Office for Information Security confirmed media reports that Rosneft Deutschland, the German branch of Russia's largest oil producer, Rosneft, reported an IT security breach last weekend. 
the hacker group Anonymous said earlier that it caused major damage in a cyber attack on Rosneft Deutschland. The chairman of the supervisory board is former German Chancellor Gerhard Schroeder, who has been in the headlines recently for refusing to disavow his friend and Russian President Vladimir Putin after the invasion of Ukraine and for allegedly travelling in secret as a mediator to Moscow. Rosneft Deutschland has not responded to a request for comment. According to Anonymous, the attack captured a total of 20 terabytes of data, including data on the backups of the laptops of company executives. It also managed to remotely wipe 59 iPhones and other devices. The Hash Group said the downloaded data would now be sifted through. It does not plan to publish all of the data. We're curious to see if we learn anything about Mr. Schroeder, Anonymous said. Wisdom Deutschland has stakes in three German oil refineries. According to its own figures, the firm was responsible for about a quarter of all the crude oil imports to Germany in recent years. This makes the company one of Germany's so-called infrastructure critical facilities. If we receive any update on this from Rosneft Deutschland, we will of course bring it to you in the next available episode of the Digital Witch Show. The war between Russia and Ukraine continues to have widespread effects, and this week it became clear that cyber attacks have been stepped up against Russian web assets. Russian government websites are facing unprecedented cyber attacks and tech efforts have been made to filter foreign web traffic, the TASS news agency cited the digital industry as saying on Thursday. Russian government entities and state-owned companies have been targeted over events in Ukraine, with websites of the Kremlin, flagship airline Aeroflot and major lender Sherbank, among those having missing outages or temporary access issues in recent weeks. The ministry was working to adjust to the new conditions, it said, as cyber attacks ratchet up. If previously their power peak moments reached 500 gigabytes, then now it's at one terabyte, the ministry said. That is two to three times more powerful than the most serious incidents of this kind that have previously been reported. As Russia becomes increasingly isolated from global financial systems and supply chains, the government has proposed a raft of measures to support the IT sector, amongst others. Technology firms will have access to preferential tax and lending conditions, and Digital Ministry has previously suggested that Russian IT companies should discuss a phased transfer of technical support components with foreign firms. Citing draft government documents, Interfax reported late on Wednesday that the Digital Ministry has proposed allocating 14 billion rubles, that's currently 134 million US dollars, to support IT companies via grant. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To Scotland now, and Scotland's Auditor General has revealed that a huge cyber attack on the Scottish Environmental Protection Agency, SEPA, was carried out after human error allowed criminals to access systems. SEPA suffered a huge ransomware attack on Christmas Eve 2020, which led to around 1.2 gigabytes of data, amounting to at least 4,000 files being stolen. An investigation by Police Scotland concluded it's likely that an international serious organised crime group was responsible for the extortion attempt. Auditor General Stephen Boyle told members of the Scottish Parliament on Holyrood's Public Audit Committee that the majority of SEPA's data, including underlying financial records, were encrypted, stolen or lost. He added SEPA had to recreate accounting records from bank and HMRC records. This made it difficult for the auditor to gain sufficient evidence to substantiate around £42 million of income from contracts. Mr Boyle also said that the backups were also lost or hacked and a disclaimer had been placed on the organisation's audit, which he said was a very unusual move. Members of the Scottish Parliament were told that SEPA was able to privatise and deliver some of its critical services within 24 hours of the attack, but Mr Boyle added that over 12 months on from the attack, it continues to rebuild and reinstate some of the systems. He said the full financial impact is not yet known. 
CEPA will therefore continue to face financial and operational challenges in the years to come. CEPA's latest financial documents estimate a budget gap of between £6 million and £17 million by 2024, with 50 full-time equivalent jobs at risk as a part of a strategic change. As of March 2021, the cyber incident is believed to have cost £1.2 million. CEPA has written off around £2 million, but it will be unable to collect the fees due to the loss of underlying records. The Auditor General was asked how criminals were able to gain access to CEPA systems. He told the committee that CEPA had good cyber security arrangements in place, but warned that no organisation can fully mitigate against the risk of a cyber attack. Mr Boyle said that the route into CEPA systems was through a phishing incident or a phishing attack, which he explained was an email masquerading as a genuine email. He added that a staff member was conned into clicking on a link, which then set out a chain of events. And Mr Boyle said, There's likely been an element of human error that has allowed this route into CEPA systems. No matter how much preparation is done, these events do happen, even in well-prepared organisations with high levels of maturity. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. To the Isle of Man now, and Isle of Man firm Strix Group, which makes kettle safety controls, has been targeted by cyber hackers. The Strix Group revealed that during the attack, only their UK and Ireland servers were affected. They certified that no customer's order or sales had been impacted by the cyber attack. A spokesperson stated all businesses within the group remain operational. The Strix Group reacted quickly to the attack, saying that they immediately engaged external specialists and took precautionary measures. There was an immediate investigation into the incident when, whilst this occurred, they took their systems offline. Businesses bashed at normal for this company, although they are taking precautions and have appointed cyber security experts to prevent such an attack from happening again in the future. To America now, and the previous owner of Cafe Press has been fined half a million US dollars, over a litany of security failures and data breaches. Cafe Press is a US platform offering print-on-demand products, including clothing, home decor, and kitchenware. Sellers can sign up to the platform, upload their own designs, and Cafe Press takes a cut of any sales made. These businesses require key financial information from sellers and purchasers to operate, and as such, they are expected to securely manage the information and handle transactions with security in mind. However, Cafe Press became the subject of a US Federal Trade Commission investigation, surrounding how it handled security and how the firm allegedly failed to secure consumer-sensitive personal data and subsequently covered up a major data breach. On March 15th, the FTC said that residual pumpkin is required to pay half a million dollars in damages. According to the FTC's complaint, issued against the platform's former owner, residual pumpkin entity LLC, and its current owner, Planet Art LLC, there was a lack of reasonable security measures to prevent data breaches. In addition, the FTC claims that Cafe Press kept user data for longer than necessary, stored personally identifiable information, including social security numbers and password reset answers in clear text, and did not patch against known system vulnerabilities. As a result of its shoddy security practices, Cafe Press's network was breached multiple times, the FTC says. Cafe Press experienced a major security incident in 2019, an attacker infiltrated a platform in February 2019 and was able to access data belonging to millions of users. The data included email addresses, poorly encrypted passwords, names, home addresses, security questions and answers, some card payment records, phone numbers and at least 180,000 unencrypted social security numbers. The data sets, some of which were then sold online, were added to Troy Hunt's Have I Been Pawned website in August 2019. According to the FTC, Cafe Press was notified a month after the breach and did patch the security floor, but did not investigate the breach properly for several months. Customers were also not told. 
Instead, Cafe Press implemented a forced password reset as part of its policy and only informed users in September 2019 once the data breach had been publicly reported. In a separate case in 2018, Cafe Press allegedly was made aware of shops being compromised. These accounts were closed and the shopkeepers of victims were then charged $25 account closure fees. The FTC also claims that the company misled users by using consumer email addresses for marketing, despite promises to the contrary. While residual pumpkin will bear the cost of the order, Planet Art is also required to notify consumers who were impacted by Cafe Press security incidents. In addition, both companies will have to hire third-party experts to perform security audits and must redress any existing security issues, including replacing security questions with multi-factor authentication, MFA processes, encrypting social security numbers and tightening up their data storage and retention practices. Cafe Press employed careless security practices and concealed multiple breaches from consumers, commented Samuel Levine, director of the FTC's Bureau of Consumer Protection. These orders dial up accountability for lax security practices, requiring redress for small businesses that were harmed, and specific controls like multi-factor authentication to better safeguard personal information. In a statement, Cafe Press said, The data breach occurred well before Planet Art bought the Cafe Press brand and happened under the technology leadership of the brand's prior owner. Planet Art was happy to agree to the FTC's request that Planet Art also become obligated to the FTC's settlement with the prior owner, as it comports with the priority Planet Art has always placed on cybersecurity specifically and more generally on consumer protection. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. We return to the UK now, and the UK Ministry of Justice has defended its data protection practices for an allegation that it failed to support an employee affected by a data breach of a Ministry of Justice service. The employee's sensitive personal data was apparently exposed because of unauthorised access gained to the Justice Academy, an online learning and careers platform used by the Ministry of Justice and other public sector staff. These claims were highlighted by CEL Solicitors, a UK law firm representing the employee. CEL Solicitors also revealed that Her Majesty's Prison and Probation Service, part of the Ministry of Justice, recorded 2,152 data breaches in the 12 months to September 2021. One of the breaches was sufficiently serious to be reported to the ICO as one of the response from the Ministry of Justice issued in October 2021 in response to a Freedom of Information request. Emergency's Prison and Probation Service runs prisons in England and Wales and has more than 58,000 full-time staff. The Ministry of Justice's latest annual report on accounts revealed that 16 data security incidents were identified across the Government Department during 2020 and 2021, which were reported to the ICO. A Ministry of Justice spokesman said, We handle millions of pieces of sensitive data safety and security every year. While errors and data breaches are extremely rare, we take them very seriously and have introduced extra training and safeguards to ensure data is handled correctly. CEL solicitors said its client was alerted by the Ministry of Justice that their full name, staff identification information, email address, national insurance number and details of where they work and with which department or agency was compromised in the Justice Academy breach, amongst other data. Believing the breach posed a particularly significant risk given the nature of their job, the employee requested access to an occupational health specialist to help with the increased stress and anxiety, but this request was repeatedly ignored. Mark Montaldo, Director and Data Breach Expert at CEL Sisters, said the breach likely affected many more justice and public sector staff who used the portal, adding, many, due to the sensitive nature of their work, will be incredibly worried about their data getting into the wrong hands. I would therefore urge anyone who is concerned to get in touch to discuss this and what this could mean for them and what their rights are. 
The Ministry of Justice spokesperson said the ICO had investigated the incident and was satisfied by the Ministry of Justice response. The ICO closed its investigation with no further action taken. It added that security features were also enhanced in order to prevent a recurrence of the breach. We take all incidents very seriously and have taken significant steps to further enhance our management of data, said the Ministry of Justice spokesperson. These improvements include notifying anyone potentially affected by breaches via the Ministry of Justice's intranet and other internal communication channels, an enhanced process for processing data breach compensation claims and the involvement of unions to ensure affected staff are supported. Finally, incidents are now being reported to the appropriate Ministry of Justice Risk and Security Boards to ensure senior governance and oversight. CEL solicitors have said having a robust data protection regime was particularly vital in the transit environments like a Majesty's Prison and Probation Service, where employees are working with and around dangerous individuals and are already at an increased risk of being blackmailed or personally targeted by criminal groups. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. So, great pleasure this week to welcome Debbie Reynolds onto uh, the GDPR Weekly Show. Debbie is known as the Data Diva and uh, presents a very successful podcast of our own in, in the USA. So, welcome, Debbie. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure. And, uh, yeah, I, I guess, tell us a little bit about what you do, Debbie, in, in the US for people in the UK on, on my podcast who might not know of you or what you do. Sure. So I'm Debbie Reynolds. They do call me the data dealer. I'm the founder, CEO, and chief data privacy officer of Debbie Reynolds Consulting. So I like to tell people I work at the intersection of privacy and technology. So I'm a a technologist uh, by trade, uh, but I've been involved for you know, decades on things like international data transfers, uh, digital transformation, all types of wacky people try with with technology. And I focus a lot now on emerging technology. So things like, you know, uh, drones, satellites, smart cities, internet, internet of things, metaverse stuff like virtual reality, augmented reality. Uh, and then I also do, uh, you know, like data privacy officer work, but you know, I, I, I'm, I speak a lot. So a podcast as well. So it's actually fun to be able to have these chats, uh, with people like you about privacy. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really good. So. Um, I mean, obviously, in, in you know, my, my show is a GDPR weekly show, focused on GDPR, not just in the UK, but across the EU. But obviously, in, in the US, you've got a slightly different situation, haven't you? Because you don't have a federal law in that sense. It, it's different states. I mean, obviously, you've got the California Consumer Protection Act and Virginia and a few other states who have started to move. Do you think eventually it will become one norm or do you think each state will, you know, will, will, will have their own? Wow. I, I wish we wish we're sad in the U.S. that we don't have a uh, a federal law. But also, I think one really big difference between the the U.S. and and Europe especially around kind of the GDPR and you, you all's laws around privacy. You know, privacy for for the EU is a fundamental human right, where in the U.S. it is not. So uh, because of that, the laws or the jurisprudence that has developed around privacy in the U.S. is very consumer-based. So if, you know, certain industries, uh, certain people who collect data, 
are exempt from a lot of these laws. So for us, it is truly a patchwork because it doesn't really cover, you know, like I don't in the U.S., if I don't want to share my data, I don't have a right not to share. (laughs) (laughs) So so my rights kick in when I'm sharing or when I'm consuming. So, you know, there's a lot of issues there. There's a lot of gaps there as as a result. I think if we ever get a federal privacy law, it'll be very, very thin. You know, I feel like we are in the U.S., we're probably about 20 five years behind where Europe is on regulation and privacy. So I don't even think that we'll get something as strong as your data directive that was passed in 1995. It's just not going to happen. Uh, but I think because it's so so business friendly here in the U.S. and not, you know, it's sort of like, you know, corporations make, um, you know, bring jobs and stuff like that. So, you know, we are seeing, uh, you know, these laws pop up on a state level, as you said, like California, Colorado, Virginia. Uh, there's a big law in, in Illinois actually about around biometrics. So we're seeing these laws pop up in some way. They're trying to, you know, I feel like all, almost all privacy regulation around the world that has come out since the GDPR has been in effect has definitely borrowed liberally from yeah. the GDPR. So there's definitely, there's definitely influence, uh, at, you know, in, in, from the GDPR in these laws, even the state level yeah. laws, because we weren't talking, you know, before then, before 2016 in the U.S., we weren't talking about data controllers or data subject access requests. So that's definitely, uh, you know, a, a hat tip to to Europe and what we're doing. But, you know, I think we're trying to sort ourselves out in the U.S. Mm-hmm. I think People in the U.S. think we have more rights than we do. You know, they think, you know, we're the land of the free and the home of the brave. And then obviously privacy must be in there and it really isn't. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I have to tell people that. And I think as people figure out as these new technologies are are emerging, they're like, how is it possible that it's okay that these technologies or these companies take all our data and do all this stuff with it? It's like, because there isn't really any regulation saying that they don't have to do that. So. Sure. Yeah, and, and I mean, yeah. Well, we obviously at the moment there's issues, you know, with like Google fonts and Google Analytics and, and all, all those sort of things, as far as the UK is concerned, and the, and the EU indeed, and and the transfer of that information back to to the US. And I guess you know we all have Matt Swems to thank for that in in lots of ways in in, in what he achieved. Yeah, I think Max Srems is is one of those characters if you're involved. Like we are in in the world of data security that you either love him or you hate him, and sometimes both emotions just different things that he does. Um, (laughs) But um, yeah, I mean, I I think you know that there is a there's a fear I think in in Europe and and certainly in the UK that in some ways some elements of GDPR might be too. Um, how do I put it? Too business hostile, too 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 heavy touch, and and there's a move to try and certainly in the UK to try and get a lighter touch. Personally, I don't hold that view because my my I think that you know, one one of the issues we have in the UK, for, for instance, is that on the face of it, GDPR sounds like a great thing, and and, and it is, but only twenty two percent of companies that should be registered for GDPR actually are. And so, you know, we've got 78% of companies in the UK who should be registered for GDPR who just aren't. And certainly one of the things I've expressed to the ICO is is that, you know, before we start thinking about 
changing what's in UK GDPR. Let's let's up that enforcement level. Let's let's get more companies actually actually using it. And and if that means that we have to use a little bit of moving away from the carrot and a little bit more stick, well, you know, maybe that's what we need to do to make that happen. Yeah, you know, there's just a lot of. Um... You know, obviously, there's a lot of geopolitical stuff going on uh, internationally around kind sure. of these data transfers and, you know, what people think. And, you know, there's kind of a national pride thing, too. So I think the U.S., yeah. they we think we're right, so we don't want to change. And Europe thinks they're right. They don't want to change. But we want to do business and do commerce together. But I think it's like, you know, business is king and then sort of, you know, uh, uh, the privacy rights of individuals the, don't have that ha, don't have the same level of kind of regard in my opinion yeah. uh, as it yeah. does in Europe so I think that's right I don't think I personally don't think that the GDPR is so onerous that companies can't follow it um, no. what I've seen is people kind of go wacky and they just do crazy things around the GDPR so like an example is there was a church that said that they didn't want to take prayer requests anymore because they didn't want to say the name of the person and they didn't want to be a phallogy crazy. Yeah. Okay. That's not what it, the law is for. <laughs> no, sure. I, I, I mean, yeah. I, 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 I know certainly here in the UK, one of the things that always makes me smile when, when, when I think about the whole issue of GDPR is if you go to the pharmacy to collect, to collect your prescription, the, the person behind the counter quite loudly in, in, in the store says, what, what's your name? And what's your postcode? What's your address? And, and, and you know, you have to tell them that to get the, the, get the information. And I'm like, actually, anybody standing three or four people back in the queue <laughs> now not only knows who I am and where I live, but they know that I need medication for something. And, and you know, it's... <laughs> <laughs> right, right. There's, there's things like that where, yeah, it's, it's just about the practical application, isn't it? And, and it's right. like, um, I mean, one of the things which I always, you know, I do, I do a lot of GPL training for people here. And one of the things I always put over to them is, is the fact that, you know, also don't get too hung up on consent because there's all the other different legal reasons how you right. can process somebody's data without having consent. Because oh. the big, which is the great thing. I, yeah, okay, it's great to have consent. Big danger, though, is it has to be as easy for someone to withdraw consent as it was to give it. And so suddenly right. you can find you can't post their data anymore. And, and like, you know, can your business cope with, with, with that? So yeah. look at the other reasons. Look at it in the round. Right. And <laughs> I, I mean, I guess as well, turning to the broader thing away from that to more so, just sort of cyber at the moment, I guess we're all nervous at the moment and, you, you know, all our thoughts, I'm sure, with the people in Ukraine and, and, and everything that's happening there. Um, but I don't know if you've seen the news today that apparently the hacking group Anonymous have, have now taken down the computers in the Kremlin, um, which, you know, is um, I do worry about the effect of, of, of cyber. It, cyber attacks are going to potentially come from both sides as, as we go through this 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 crisis um and the effect that that's going to have on people's personal data i don't i don't know what what the feeling is in the u.s on that yeah you know oh my goodness i think you know there are a lot of emotions about this you know we don't all the people that i know no one that i know 
regardless of what their political views are, want to see war happen in Europe, right? Especially in nuclear, someone's a nuclear power. And then also, in addition to the -the on-the-ground war or the cyber war. So that's been happening for a long time, right? So this is not a new thing. Uh, With the cyber warfare, we think it's going to ratchet up. And then we have kind of the cyber vigilanteism, like you said, the group anonymous, you know, I don't know. I think it's just so wild, uh, all the different things that are happening. And I think, you know, I'm concerned about people, obviously, in the middle, people getting hurt, right? Yeah. People yeah. being being murdered and killed and maimed uh, as a result of this. And then also the the other harm that happens on the cyber part, you know, people mm. who are will lose their businesses or will lose, you know, their identity, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. you know. Criminals, you know, if as as we've seen, even with with COVID, um, you know, a lot of the phishing attempts that happen have gone up like four hundred percent. You know, so cyber criminals like it when there's chaos because it takes more attention away from other things they want to do. So I feel like if we're focusing so much on kind of you know the physical, you know, the the on the ground war. You know, you can't take your eye off of the cyber part. Of no, no. Um, and then that gets people, you know, cyber criminals like you to be off your game. So they want you to be upset and they want you to be emotional and they want you to not think yeah. you click on a link or something. So I, I'm sure that that will only continue. Right. Uh, cyber criminals will definitely take advantage of this uh, yeah, situation. So. so people have to be. Be vigilant, but we're just, you know, all the calls that I've had, um, since this, the war in Ukraine has started, you know, everyone, uh, every meeting I've had, we've talked about, you know, Ukraine. So we're very, you know, people in the mm-hmm. U.S. are very concerned about what's happening there, you know, in Europe and then also just the people as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree. I mean, you, you know, I, I'm sure, yeah, I, I, I can't imagine what it can be like. Over there at the moment, but but it's just yeah. I think I think you're quite right though with the cyber thing that none of us can afford to take our eye off the ball at the moment because because you know there will be state actors, but yeah, there will also be criminal bad actors who who will seek to take financial advantage of of, of the situation. Absolutely, um, and you, you know whether that's something as simple as as a, a phishing attempt to get information or whether it's you know spoof bank accounts that claim to be raising money for the people of Ukraine but in fact is just fraud is absolutely um absolutely you, you know something which I think we 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 we're all gonna have to be aware of. Turning away from that, I, I want to come back to your 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 border thing about data and the internet of things because I think that's something which um Probably in the U.S., you know, you said just now about how how the U.S. is behind us in terms of privacy. But I think in terms of the Internet of Things, the U.S. is probably way ahead of where Europe is in terms of linking linking things together. Um, I mean, where do you see that? Where do you see that crossover coming between the Internet of Things and and people's personal data? Do you know what I mean? Because it's all very well if you have your fridge telling the store. Then the grocery store, what what groceries you need, but how do you ensure that that's you know how do how do we keep that secure? Yeah, it's it's always a cat, I think, and you know I think 
the thing that we have to realize or what I've come to grips with is that, especially in the U.S., you know, the the technology will always be ahead of the regulation, right? Uh, almost yeah. always. Uh, so I think being able to work with companies and that's something that I do, work with them proactively on kind of privacy by design. So regardless of what the regulation is, you know, you yeah. know, simple things like, you know, data of individuals doesn't belong to you, even if you have it in your possession. It belongs to the person and then you're yeah. a steward of the data. And, you know, believe it or not, as simple of a statement as that is, I've had people's jaw drop when I talk. They just don't think of it that the way. They think, you know, we do this business, we have this data, we can do whatever we want with it. And I'm like, no, that's not the way it should be. So I think an internet of things, what I'm saying is, a, is an acceleration of people creating these really interesting and cool products, some of them being used in ways that I'm not <laughs> okay with. Uh, uh, but, you know, to me, like Internet of Things device is almost like a computer that doesn't have a screen, in my view. So yeah. you don't yeah. have the same visibility into what's happening with the mm. device and what is actually collecting. So I'm very happy to see that regulators and you, when companies like want to buy these companies or whatever, they're look, taking a very close look at that because in the U.S. it really isn't, you know, uh, unfortunately, a lot of times the laws we get passed are very reactive. So it's like, this bad bad thing happened and let's pass a law. So let's say, you know, your refrigerator um, who was supposed to order food for you decided that you didn't need ice cream because they think you're gaining too much weight or something. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) You're like, well, let's pass a law about the ice cream in the refrigerator. Let's pass the ice cream in the refrigerator law. And that's unfortunately how things go in the U.S. But I think we need more of a strategy as opposed yeah. to a tactic and not to be so reactive. So I think, you know, for me, uh, one of my favorite laws uh, that the U.S. has passed is the Biometric Information Privacy Act. In, in the state of Illinois. So currently it's like the most stringent biometric law in the world. Um, it has, uh, Facebook settled a case in 2020 for $650 million for that case. And actually they said if Facebook had gone to court and lost that case, they would have had to pay $35 billion. So wow. this is, this is a case. This is a law nobody wants to see on the, the, the business side because they're going to really take companies down. And I think this may be one reason why Facebook decided to stop their facial tagging feature. Cause right. if we, okay. if Illinois is one state, right? So now that Illinois got all this money, now they're going to all the other states like we want $650 million for Facebook. So let's pass this law. So that's probably how it's going to go, right? So they don't want that. But the, the good thing about that law is that it doesn't talk about the technology, really. It just talks about the harm, right? It yeah. talks about, yeah. you know, people's biometric data is sensitive. They should have a right to know how it's being used. You, you, have, a, you have a responsibility to protect it in a certain way. And as simple as all that sounds, it's still frightening for organizations. These are very simple concepts. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I think having more regulation like that, and that's one reason why I really like the GDPR because yeah. it doesn't, it's not so prescriptive in my view. So it's not, mm. it's to me, it's like, so like, think about like the CCPA in California. So they're like, if you sell data, you have to put a button on your website that says this, you know? Yeah. 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 As a, make sure that your, your data practice are re, are reasonable. 
right? Or use data no longer than necessary or making sure that uh, that you tie your data, uh, data used to a purpose. Yeah. You know, yeah. so to me, that helps to kind of future proof, uh, the yeah. GDPR. Yeah. But I, it's funny because some people don't like the GDPR because it's not prescriptive enough and they don't like mm, CCPA because mm. it's like too prescriptive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. But, but yeah, I think, I think you're right. It's, it's down that mix, isn't it? Because. If it's too prescriptive, as you say, and then something changes, it doesn't apply anymore because someone says, "Oh, well, you know, it doesn't mention that." So, right, yeah. <laughs> and and as you say, I think that's why any law like that has to be, yeah, as you say, sort of almost silent on methods of data collection because there probably are whole methods of data collection that we we haven't even thought about yet that that will will just suddenly emerge. I mean, if I if I take an example here in the UK. Um, one of the things that they're looking that's causing concern here at the moment is facial recognition because um, in a lot of soccer stadiums now have cameras which can scan the crowd within the stadium and enables the police to pick out known hooligans or you know, known vandals within within the crowd. Great. But I think the bit that people don't realise there, of course, is if if I'm there as a totally innocent person, that's still recording my face as being there, which means someone knows at that moment in time, that's where I was. Yeah, and and I think there's several things like that where um, technology still needs to catch up. And and I think, you know, I mean, another good example is um, that... uh, uh, I, I, well, it's pre-COVID now, but but I I went to London on the train to go to go to a meeting where the only place that meeting was was in my diary. I hadn't put it anywhere else at all, but it was in the diary on my phone. Um, I get to I get to the main line train station, and it tells me what how busy the metro line is to get to where I want want to go. Yeah, and that was like kind of ooh. <laughs> I'm not sure I like that. It knows where I'm going. Right. And, <laughs> but, there's, but, you know, I, I think equally, I guess, for any of us, if any of us knew at any one time how much data about us was being collected, we, we probably would never want to leave our houses. So, I mean, it always has to be that that balance. But it, Yeah. You know. Yeah. I don't like that feature either. I, I don't know how to turn it off. I never asked for it. I'm, you know, they're like, oh, it takes so and so minutes to get to this place. Like, I never told you that. You know, why are you connecting this information? It's very creepy for sure. Yeah. 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 I uh... think, I think, um, you know, I, I'm concerned right now in Europe about all the cookie cases that are happening around mm. cookies. So, you know, and the reason why is because while these cases are going on, companies are eliminating cookies, right? So they don't yeah. need cookies to do what they are doing. Mm-hmm. So if you focus too much on that, you know, to me, cookies are a mode of transportation. Like, like you put, you, you're transporting the data, right? In, yeah. in using this method. But now if these, if these cases are too focused on actually that method, they're missing out on all the other ways that yeah. people can yeah. do the same thing or worse. You know, there are things that are worse than cookies <laughs> that, yeah. you know, they, they don't really need to put anything on your, you know, computer. It was just convenience at the yeah. time, right? Yeah. So yeah. yeah, what what we're going to see is people start. So cookies really were supposed to be to help, you know, like, for example, let's say you go to a 
website and you like, so it really was. So the next time you visit the website, it will show you the website and the setting that you chose. So you don't have to redo that. So it wasn't ever meant really to to have websites like gather together and get all the bits and pieces of information about you or whatever. But that's sort of what this ad tech thing is happening underneath. That's very problematic. So once, you know, uh, you know, uh, Google is going to, uh, they've already announced the third party cookie, right? So before these cases are even done, you know, cookies will be gone in terms of yeah. the way that people are thinking about. But the problem is now there's this other thing and they'll call it, maybe they'll call it biscuits. I don't know. Yeah, You know, it yeah. does something mm. different. And then they are going to have a biscuit. Patient. I don't know. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. I mean, I mean, yeah, we, we yeah, we, I'm, I think in a way we've all in a way, we've all got used to it now. I guess that you know, if, if we go on to Facebook or something, and we and we having a conversation about uh, you know, I don't know, um, uh, pans, then when they're, when everywhere else we go for the next three days, all the adverts we seem to see are all about pans because it, it's come to the conclusion that's what that's what we want. Yeah, um, right. I mean, I mean, I think if I've got one major gripe about programmatic things like that, it's the fact of. Why doesn't it recognize when you have already bought something? Because, you know, sometimes it's something you've actually gone ahead and you purchased. And it still keeps showing you the damn things in the adverts for the next three days. (laughs) Yeah. Well, actually, so what it's doing is, which to me is totally not right. Okay. It's not right the way it does it because it's not accurate. So when you search for something on the Internet and you close one website, go to another, you see that same ad. Basically, what's it, what's trying to happen is that the advertiser is trying to get credit yeah, for you yeah. purchasing that item. So mm-hmm. they want to say, so let's say you find your shirt you like, you go out and look for it. They see that you like that shirt. They put an ad on there. And then if you buy the shirt, regardless of whether or not you were influenced by this ad within a certain period of time, they'll get credit as if yeah. they were the reason why you bought that shirt. Yeah, that you know, it's like you you already knew what you wanted. You went out and bought it, and then this this ad chases you around for a number of days. So, ad companies make a lot of money on that. So, if yeah. they aren't yeah. able to do that in the future as a result of these changes, you know, they're going to lose a lot of money, mm. rightly so, right? Um, yeah. But I think yeah. a lot of people don't know how the under the underbelly of the the internet works in terms of ads, and then. You know, it's not just about a shirt that you buy. It's like, you know, they have such detailed taxonomies about people yeah. and how they categorize them. Yeah. Public information. So if you go to the IAB, mm. uh, the Inter- Interactive Advertising Bureau's yeah. taxonomy, you know, you'd be, you'd be horrified by the stuff that they can categorize. It's like, mm. how long, how many times a, a week or a month does Keith search for chronic illness? You know, I mean. Yeah, yeah isn't going to go to someone who, you know, maybe a future employer or wow. uh, a health, you know, maybe your insurance will be high as a result of that. And, and it may not even be you, right? That's a, uh-huh. another thing. So, you know, that this is, and I can, I can talk forever about this. So I've been up in a tizzy about this whole IP address as personal uh-huh. data because the IP address to me is not a personally identifiable bit of information without other corroborating yeah. bits yeah. of information, right? So 
like everyone in your like every device in your house can literally have the same IP address. But yeah. does that mean it is the same person? No, I don't think so. You know, you need more information mm-hmm. to be able to determine that. So I'm concerned about all these all like the Google Fox case yeah. and the thing about Google Analytics. IP addresses to me are not personally identifiable in that way mm. unless you have other information. You know, it could, I guess the argument could be made that Google has so much more information. Yeah. They could put it together and decide mm. that you're this person. But that's actually, that's not accurate because even your IP address can change. You know, you take your computer to another location, yeah. your IP yeah. address changes. So it's not, how mm. can it be personally identifiable? So I think we're kind of getting in this crazy we're getting into this crazy thing now. So now there's an industry of people who are trying to create tools to anonymize IP addresses. Uh-huh. Computers talk to the internet, right? And so it's like, okay, you anonymize this bit of information, but you're not thinking about these other bits yeah. of information that makes people identifiable. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree. I mean, I mean, we, I, I was actually working on something with a client a couple of weeks ago where we were talking about, um, but yeah, they're, they're very keen to boost their sustainability. They want to be carbon you know, uh, net zero by 2030 is, is their aim as a, as, a, as a corporate business. And so as part of that, they put in energy monitors in the different rooms within their, within their office. And when we first looked at that, I was like, well, there's not really a GDPR issue because it's not really personal data. Yeah. It's, you know, and then somebody said, you know, we, we were sitting around in a group discussing it and and also somebody went what about at night because at night we only have one security guard right and and so that is personal data because that you know we know it's him or her who you know is going in there who all you know we could i mean take a crazy level but we could say (laughs) you you know that 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 security guard every night when they go into the kitchen and um, and make a drink they 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 never turn the light off when they come out. It, it, you know, there's all these sort of things, and like suddenly, sort of, yeah. But how far do you carry it? And right, um, <laughs> you, you, you know, that, that's 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 the issue, right? And, and and do you do you have to carry up carry out almost a sort of a balancing act, if you like, between you know when is it personal data that people don't really worry about, and when is it personal data that actually, yeah, it is personal data, but are people going to worry about it too much? Mm, I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's it, the question. You hit the question on the head. It's such a hard, hard thing to answer. And then now we have sort of, so people think now because all this legislation and litigation, you know, yeah. he addresses personal data. And I never thought that doesn't make sense. And so I think, you know, like you said, so let's say, you know, the guy who comes who's security guard, you know, the only guy at night, in addition to knowing that he's there at night, you know, I'm sure he has a phone probably that he carries in his pocket yep. and it comes from his house every night. So if we have that together, yes, mm. <laughs> you can probably determine that that's the person. But I think IP address, even if you anonymize the yeah. IP address, that doesn't make it not personal. Yeah, again, I think it's how far how far do you carry it? You, you, right. You, you know, and I mean, I, I get involved sometimes here with 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 helping clients where you know they've had a data breach, and and then people are seeking to sue them to get damages. And yeah, I mean, again, I I think it varies a lot. You know, I mean, I think yeah, if, if some if someone knows my bank account number and they know maybe 
my PIN number or something else, and they brought that information. Yeah, that that I I, I would want to, you know, I'd want compensation for if somebody breached that because that that that's my data. If if someone gets my cell phone number, am am I really that bothered about it? You, 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 you know, um, right. I mean, I, I had one recently where where um, someone some uh, this company had sent a, a a document to the wrong person. Um, unfortunately for them, the person they sent it to shouldn't have sent they shouldn't have sent it to knew who it should have gone to. So rather than actually send it back to the company saying you shouldn't have sent me this, they just forwarded it on to the other person who was particularly litigious. Who was then said, you know, oh, data breach. I want compensation. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I sort of, uh, the, the company asked me to help them, and, and I got involved. And when I looked into it, I thought, well, wait a minute. The only, the only piece, two pieces of personal information on that document that, that leaked were your address and your telephone number. But that person who sent you it knew who you were anyway. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so where's the issue? Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. It, shouldn't, it, it shouldn't have happened. Maybe, maybe right. I have a hundred dollars in compensation just to, right. you know, for the fact it happened. But when, when he's got his lawyer trying to try, trying to claim to me that you know, this guy's now can't sleep at night, I'm like, I'll oh, give it a rest. <laughs> you, 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 you know, it's all <laughs> it's like, get real. Um, right. It, oh, it, 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 but, you know, it, it is always a thing. But I think the problem again is, is that um, because people don't know the rules necessarily, then somebody getting a lawyer's letter like that saying we want ten thousand in compensation for this, right. some companies sadly would just pay it because they they think oh well you know we, yeah that did happen that yeah, we ought to pay that then. Probably this one didn't the same way and we argued it out. But it, yeah, you, you know I, I think there, there, there does need to be that that balancing act sometimes between just yeah. how uh, you know yeah data breaches should not happen. Okay, right. but. In real world, we know they do. Yeah, I mean, That's I mean, right. even, even for myself, can can I say hand on heart that in my fifteen odd years of business, I've never sent the wrong email to the wrong person? Hmm. No, I can't say right. that. Right. I have. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> and, yeah, but you know, equally, I don't think I've got sufficient things in place that no major data breach could happen. But but it's yeah. But yeah, I think it, it's it's about um, limits, isn't it? It's about what yeah. what what actually is is. is and I guess in the US, you know, I mean, I, certainly the perception we have from from over this side of the pond, and it could be it could be a false perception. Um, but is that you US is a far more litigious society than than, than Europe? Oh is, yeah. But. Oh, absolutely. I, I will unequivocally yes. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Everybody wants to sue. So to me, some of these lawsuits are so ridiculous. I'm like, I can't even believe that he got so far. You know what I mean? Like to me, there should be a gatekeeper in some way uh, to get this out. But I think you know when you have, I think that's probably maybe the down a downside when you have privacy as a fundamental human right. Yeah, where it it's hard to quantify the harm, yeah. right? Yeah. So I think, you know, the U.S., because so much of our privacy regulations are around consumerism, you could say, you know, I paid $20 for this product, I was harmed by this product, and then maybe part of the compensation calculation, you know, how much I paid for, you know, maybe I get $20 back, or maybe I get 
you know, two months back or whatever. So I think it makes the calculation easier and it makes it easier for lawyers to chase that where it's like, you know, uh, and and you saw in the Lloyd case, you know, that was a big case uh, that happened out of the UK. And that sort of dealt with that issue was like, how can you quantify the harm if if someone as, you know, if you weren't physically harmed, you weren't financially harmed, how do you, how do you put a price tag on Mm. that? So like you were saying, you know, the person sent the wrong email to someone else and they forwarded it to the other person. Like, where is the harm exactly? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I can't sleep at night because someone, you know, knows my, 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 a person that knows me knows my name and my email address. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it it, it just gets crazy. But um, anyway, I, I guess we, we, we need to, to, to wind, wind, wind this up. But um, it's been great to speak to you, Debbie. And uh, yeah, ho- hopefully we can, we can have another conversation at, at some time soon. Yeah, um, this was so much fun. Oh, my goodness. I love that we got to dig deep into these issues and struggle with every day. So it's very practical advice. And uh, yeah, well, thank you so much for, for taking part. I really, really appreciate it. And uh, uh, and uh, yeah, and uh, look forward to having you again on on the GPL Weekly Show soon. Thank right. you so much. This is great. Thank you. Remain in the UK, and a data breach at food manufacturer GreenCore could end up proving costly for the company, with a group of current and former employees seeking legal advice on whether to sue the business if their personal information was compromised. Employee data breach claims are becoming increasingly common adding an additional headache for businesses that can already face large fines if information is stolen. In a letter to staff last month, Greencore admitted suffering a data breach in December in which information including employees' roles and salaries, bank account details and other personal information was accessed by hackers. Further details of the incident, the number of staff affected by the breach are unknown, but Greencore employs more than 30,000 people across 35 sites throughout the UK and Ireland. Data breach law firm Hayes Connor has taken up the case and on Wednesday revealed it's working with up to 40 Green Tour employees who have suffered from the data breach. Christine Sabino, a lawyer at Hayes Connor representing the potential claimants, said the information we have received is hugely concerning and further answers are clearly needed. This company employs thousands of people across a range of sites, but no indication has been provided of how many may have been affected. While we've heard firsthand from a number of people worried by these developments, there will likely be many more who are also concerned about what has happened, she said. Green Tour said it takes matters of data security extremely seriously. A company spokesperson said, We've been working alongside a team of IT forensic experts who continue to investigate the incident, and identity monitoring resources have been available to those affected. If we get any further update on this from Green Tour, we will, of course, bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. To Ireland now, and Ireland's evasive response to a major security complaint filed against Google's ad tech in 2018 is the target of a new lawsuit that accuses the Data Protection Commission, the DPC, of years of inaction over what the complainants assert is the largest data breach ever. On Tuesday this week, the Irish High Court agreed to hear the suit. The litigation has been prepared by the Irish Council for Civil Liberties, whose senior fellow Johnny Ryan is named as the plaintiff. The question at issue is the DPC's response to a long-running complaint about Google's role in the high-velocity trading of web users' personal data to determine ad serving, and more specifically, the lack of attention the data trading systems of the tracking-based advertising industry pay to security. 
And if you're a regular listener to the GDPR Weekly Show, you'll know that this is an issue we've covered several times here on the show. The lawsuit accuses the DPC of a failure to act on what it couches as a massive Google data breach. If you're a regular listener to the GDPR Weekly Show, then the name of Johnny Ryan will be very familiar to you, as he's been following AdTech's mounting legal woes in Europe as a driving force behind a series of complaints and lawsuits since 2018. A former AdTech insider turned whistleblower, Ryan has ramped up pressure on the industry for reforms through a series of strategic GDPR complaints, but more recently, he's turned his complaints on the DPC itself. In September 2020, he published a dossier of evidence highlighting how the online ad targeting industry profiles internet users' intimate characteristics without their knowledge or consent. He's also lodged a complaint with the European Commission that led to an ombudsman stepping in to look at the EU's own high-level monitoring of the decentralised application of GDPR, which relies upon agencies in each member state to do the draft of investigating and enforcing violations of the law. On the 2018 Digital Tech complaint, the DPC has so far announced some procedural steps. Following Ryan's original 2018 complaint, which named both Google and the online ad industry body the IAB Europe, Ireland opened a formal inquiry into Google's ad tech in May 2019. The regulator is the lead EU watchdog for Google. However, Ireland did not open an inquiry based on the substance of Ryan's complaint. Rather, it opened what's known as an own volition inquiry, saying it would seek to establish whether posting of personal data carried out at each stage of an advertising transaction is in compliance with the relevant provisions of GDPR, including the lawful basis for processing, the principles of transparency and the principles of data minimisation, as well as Google's data retention practices. Notably, the DPC did not say in its inquiry that it would interrogate Google's role in real-time bidding through a security lens, despite the core of Ryan's complaint being that the system that functions by broadcasting highly sensitive data about people, their browsing habits, their device IDs, their location, etc., across the internet to intermediaries, with no way for the track users to control who receives the information or what gets done with it, is the very opposite of being secure. So that's what Ryan, via the ICCL, is now after. The lawsuit aims to force Ireland to investigate the security of real-time bidding, an issue the regulator has so far seemed keen to avoid. While real-time bidding has faced a number of other GDPR complaints, as we featured in a number of articles here on the GDPR Weekly Show, Ryan's complaint intentionally zeroed in on security, as it seemed to offer the clearest route to demonstrating that something was very rotten in the state of ad tech. Ryan says, I'm trying to be as efficient as possible with every bit of litigation that we launch. For three and a half years, I've asked the Irish Data Protection Commission to investigate and act on the biggest data breach ever recorded, and it has not done so, and as a result of that, every European has been exposed to this. The DPC is really good at muddying things, he adds. This is really nice, crisp, clear example of the DPC having Europe-wide responsibility for a really big issue that affects everybody, and it's not some small thing, and they haven't done anything. So there isn't really anything that I could do. We have to sue them. If they don't act on this, they may as well not exist, he concludes. Commenting on the suit, Liam Herrick, Executive Director of ICCL, added, We are concerned that the rights of individuals across the EU are in jeopardy because the DPC has failed to investigate Google's real-time bidding system over three and a half years since first notified by Johnny Ryan in 2018. The issue at stake here affects the rights of every European and we're going to talk to see that digital rights are protected. Repeated attempts to get the DPC to take up the rights violation have failed. We approached Google for a comment, but at the time of going to broadcast, no such comment has been received. We will, of course, follow this case through the Irish High Court and bring you regular updates here on the GDPR Witch Show.
in Ireland again, and this time the Jardi in Limerick have defended the widespread use of CCTV in crime detection despite a €110,000 fine issued by the DPC. Following a three-year investigation into its use of CCTV, Limerick City and County Council have been fined by the DPC. The DPC found that there was a breach in GDPR in 50 separate instances. The investigation looked at the legal basis for the installation of more than 250 cameras over the past 15 years and the associated data protection concerns they raised. Now a joint policing committee has heard that both the council and Jardai are looking to work to get their house in order as they work towards seeking a legal basis for CCTV in Limerick. Jardai Inspector Sandra Heelan said that when CCTV schemes are applied for, they must go through a process which is part of the Jardai-Siotna Act where the Commissioner gives permission for these schemes to be set up. She said this application was in response to the DPC report. The JPC also heard that the €110,000 fine was yet to be paid. The application is for an already existing 376 cameras grouped into four areas and does not include any new CCTV. If the cameras do not get approval, many of them will have to be turned off on April the 12th. Public consultations will take place over the coming weeks and a data protection assessment will be carried out on each individual camera. The JPC heard that there would likely be some cameras lost if they do not meet the criteria for retention. Most Heathen stressed the importance of CCTV in assisting with Jardim investigations and gave an example of the heinous murder of Rose Hanrahan in 2017. Jardim downloaded 70,000 hours of footage from the council to help with their prostitution. It played an integral role in the solving of this crime and without it we wouldn't have had a man serving life imprisonment, Ms. Heathen added. She also quoted Paddy Flannery, a Moibos resident and manager of the Moibos CCTV scheme, who says CCTV had allowed children to play outside, people to go for walks, and had provided a sense of safety and security to the residents. Alan Dooley, head of digital strategy with Limerick City and County Council, explained that Limerick City and County Council and the JADA will enter a formal joint data control agreement as part of the application process. He added that he had a high level of confidence and that all remediation needed would be done to gain the Jada Commissioner's approval ahead of the April 12th shut-off date. Mr Dooley reminded the meeting that if they did not get the approval of the JPC on this motion, they soon won't have any cameras. The members of the JPC voted unanimously to approve the application. Limerick solicitor Rossa McMahon, a partner at PG McMahon Solicitors in Newcastle West, had first raised his concerns regarding the Council's use of CCTV in 2017 with the subject subsequently taken up by the DPC in the context of all 31 local authorities. Mr McMahon said it was positive to hear the Council and Jada taking steps to implement the directions of the DPC. Contrary to some commentary on the issue, the DPC did not ban CCTV and GDPR does not ban it. The issue is that the Council has not operated their surveillance network in accordance with the law. The breaches found by the DPC have been clear since at least 2017, but the Council did not remedy them in the intervening years, he said. Mr McMahon said it was appropriate that the JADA would seek to use whatever evidence might be available to them in detecting and investigating crime. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. And finally this week, we have news that following a breach of GDPR, Facebook parent company Meta has received an 18.6 million US dollar, 17 million euro fine, representing around 0.055% of its quarterly revenue. The Irish DPC imposed a fine on Meta Platforms Ireland, formerly Facebook Ireland, following its inquiry into 12 data breach notifications over a six-month period from 7th of June 2018 to the 4th of December 2018. 
The inquiry found that Meta's platforms infringed articles 5, paragraph 2 and 24, paragraph 1 of GDPR. Meta failed to have in place appropriate technical and organisational measures which would enable it to readily demonstrate the security measures that it implemented in practice to protect EU users' data in the context of 12 personal data breaches, according to a statement from the DPC. A Meta spokesperson said, This fine is about record-keeping practice from 2018 that we've since updated, not a failure to protect people's information. We take our obligations under GDPR very seriously and will carefully consider this decision as our processes continue to evolve. Meta's offending data practice involved cross-border processing. As such, the DPC worked with all the other European supervised authorities to come to a consensus. Therefore, the DPC's decision represents the joint view of the Irish authorities and its counterpart across the EU. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurety production. Until next time, bye-bye.